Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Last week, we started looking at the book of Acts, and uh, I asked you to do something. Can anyone remember what that was, those who were here? Read through it, just as if it was a historical record. Not worry about it, not wonder what it means, but just read through it, because it's only about 30 pages. How many managed to do that? Sue. Milk. So you got to. Oh. oh, you had a poorly man at home. Yeah. Oh, you were poorly. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Have you got him reading it as well? Oh. oh. You know, the Book of Acts is often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. And in some of the older versions of the Bible, it was actually called the Acts of All the Apostles. Now that's a bit, that mystifies me, because when I read through Acts, I only see a couple of them really named in any detail. There's a lot about Paul, there's a lot about Peter, and then there's quite a bit about those who travelled with them. But actually, although it's called the Acts of the Apostles, it's actually only about a handful of them. Yet nevertheless, it is a record of what happened in the early church and how it spread from being 120 believers in Jerusalem to being something that affects this whole nation and the whole world. And actually, given the number of times that when you read through Acts, you see the Holy Spirit at work, I think it should have been called the Acts of the Spirit. Because actually, whenever you look at something, and something stands out, and you think, whoa, what made that happen? Actually, it's the Holy Spirit. So those of you who managed to read all or part of the book of Acts, what did you find? Did it encourage you? Yeah? Did it build you up? What bits did you find most helpful? Oh, it's gone deathly quiet now. There is a lot in there. There is a huge amount in there. They were fearless, emboldened by the Spirit. Yeah, it's all down to that Holy Spirit again. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen is a good example of that. He's, he's at risk of being put to death, and in fact he was. Yet in front of the Sanhedrin, he finds a way to preach the gospel. And I mean, how many of us would do that when we just face a bit of ridicule? Miracles and deliverance. Miracles and deliverance. Yeah, and we see the continuation of what Jesus did when he was on earth. We see healings as well. We see deliverance, we see miracles, and it's just now happening wherever they go. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because we can all open our mouths. 
but we need inspiration sometimes for the right things to come out. Yeah, yeah. I, I had an encounter with a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses uh, about ten days ago. And uh, I'm not sure what I said to them was that helpful to them. Um, I offered they could come in and I'd pray for them to be filled with the Spirit. And... <laughs> Anyway, we'll move on. Um, So, Luke, in his Gospel, stops writing after he records about Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And so, fairly naturally, when you start to read his second book, Acts, that's naturally where he picks up. So, we're going to read, just first of all today, from the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, 
which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas had bought a field where he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem had heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akodama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us as of his resurrection. So they proposed two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. When they prayed, sorry, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two men you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Just before we get into anything controversial, that is the last time in scripture that anything seems to be chosen by the throwing of lots. But uh, throwing dice or drawing straws, you know, just anything like that. Yeah, names out of a hat. When there's two, it's hard to take names out of a hat, but yeah. Something by chance, but they were, they were believing that God would influence that and give them the right outcome. When I read that, it's a difficult passage to preach on. When you're going through Acts, in all the other chapters of Acts, lots of things happen. People get killed, people come back to life, people are healed, people are delivered. But in this one, you look at it and you think, Jesus ascended, but we've already read about that at the end of Luke. What new is there in here? As I mould it over, something just, something just came to me, and that is, not many people like change. Do you think that's true? Yeah. In fact, a lot of people try and avoid it, particularly when you're not in control of that change yourself. And people say that that can be a major cause of stress. Psychologists have prepared a list and they've given points to various changes that can add to stress in our life. And not surprisingly, the highest scoring of them are the things that bring about major change. So I pulled a few out of the list. This isn't exhaustive, but it just starts to demonstrate. The death of your spouse, if you're married gains you a hundred points. They, these are not positive points, you have to understand that. This is a negative thing, okay? 
A divorce gets you 73. Marital separation gets you 63. So it's obviously not quite so bad to be separated as divorced. Okay? Having a new baby gets you 63. <laughs> it does depend on the baby. Yeah. <laughs> Equally, on 63, a jail term. Now that's surprising, isn't it? I know having children can sometimes feel like a life sentence, but, but actually a jail term is no more stressful than having a baby. Death of a close family member is also 63. Personal injury or illness, 50. Getting married, 50. Getting reconciled after marital separation, 45. Retirement, 45. Changing your job, 36. Now this one's interesting. Having an outstanding personal achievement, 28. Being good at something is stressful. Being in trouble with your boss, 23. Moving house, 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going on holiday, 13. Christmas, 12. Having a minor violation of the law, 12. So Christmas is as bad for you as speeding. Okay. Now what's interesting is it isn't only bad things that cause stress. Now the guidance is you should be looking to avoid clocking up more than 250 points in any two-year period. Now, given that some of this you can't do anything about, because there will be two Christmases in that period, okay, that's 24, that's 10% of it gone before you've blinked, okay, you might take two holidays. If that's the case, well, that's 50 points gone over the two-year period. So, the conclusion I came to is you don't want too many spouses dying in a two-year period. Neither do you want to get reconciled too often or get separated. Okay? And you don't want too many jail terms. That's the conclusion I came to. But if, like us, you end up moving house twice in six months, changing jobs and all that that entailed, you can see why Moena and I are obvious candidates for the nut house, really. But, uh, so how do you think the disciples felt? They'd gone through what I can only look at as a real roller coaster of emotions. They'd seen Jesus die. Not only had they seen him die, but he died in some of the most unpleasant circumstances imaginable. He had hung on a cross. He had already been tortured and whipped. And he was exhausted. And they stood and they saw him die. And then they faced ridicule and persecution. And just as where they were getting through that, he came back after three days... And he spent 40 days amongst them. Now I think their emotions must have risen during that period. But then he suddenly left them and went back to heaven. How do you think they felt? 
Yeah. Alone. But they'd seen the lows, they'd seen the highs when he rose from the dead. And then they were alone. I can only describe it as an emotional roller coaster. And as I tried to put myself in that position, the questions I found going through my, my mind was, well, what will happen now? What does he mean, wait? Will things really be any different than they were before? And as I looked at this passage, although we don't see a lot of the things that we'll see as we go through Acts later, we don't see preaching of the gospel, we don't see extension of the kingdom, there's a lot in the passage that has relevance for us today. And I've made a list. The first is, they had confirmation that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that's what I think this account in Acts is there for. That we can have confirmation that Jesus had risen from the dead. It says, first of all, there were lots of witnesses. It talks about them. It names the people who were there, who met with Jesus during that period. And it says, he gave them convincing proofs. It doesn't tell us what that is. We can only imagine what that might be. But what would it take to prove to you that someone had risen from the dead? We know from other accounts that Thomas saw his wounds and touched them. Is that convincing enough for you? It says he ate with them. It reinforces for us that Jesus did not just come back as a spirit or as a ghost. He was there with them in a true resurrection body. And you'll know there are other accounts in the Gospels as well, where he had breakfast with some of the disciples. But this, it says, happened over a 40-day period. Can you imagine having someone who you've lost and you believe to be dead with you for a month, showing you convincing proof that they are alive? And what it means for us is that we can have confidence in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and everything that brings for us. It brings for us salvation. It brings for us forgiveness. It brings righteousness and healing and justification and acceptance and adoption as sons and daughters of God. And that list just goes on and on and on because the death and the resurrection of Jesus brings us everything that we can have in God. The second thing is during those 40 days, he was still talking about the kingdom. That's what it says he talked to them about. And I think that was a way of showing us that his plan that he talked about while he was amongst his disciples on earth had not been derailed by his death. In fact, his death was part of the plan. 
So what do you think he discussed with his disciples during that 40 days? Because the scripture doesn't tell us. But it does tell us one of the questions that came out. The question in the vernacular is, so are you going to restore Israel now? The disciples still hadn't really grasped that the plan that Jesus was working through was so much bigger than to simply bring about the restoration of one group of people. As it says in Isaiah, it is too small a thing for you, my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The plan that Jesus was working through was much bigger than the disciples understood. It would have been too small a thing for Christ to have suffered and hung on the cross and died and then risen just to restore Israel. God has far larger purposes. It's the redemption of all mankind. So Jesus was still talking about the kingdom. And then he said to them, wait. Wait for the promised one. Don't rush on ahead. Don't go out and try and fulfill that plan in your own strength. Wait. Why? Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Note that promise. It is unconditional. It is you will receive power. It's not that you might. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. It isn't a matter of choice. It isn't a matter of chance. It is a certainty. And I think for us, it should reinforce that sometimes we should be careful to wait for the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't always rush into things. Because our ministry as a church is a supernatural activity. And we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in everything we do. And then there's the challenge. Where is our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, and our ends of the world? Is it Cantley, Doncaster, South Yorkshire, and the nations? Because he said, you will be my witnesses. What he's saying is, you're going to be involved. Because witnesses see things and tell others. That's what witnesses do in court. That's what witnesses to an accident do. They see things and then tell others. And it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So it's reinforcing that we need to be telling others about what we have seen him do and what he has done for us. In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The impact of this stuff was going to grow. It might start locally, but it would go right around the world. And it nearly has. What it means for us is our vision has to be rooted locally. We have to work it out here. But in time, we should expect to see a wider vision developing and a missionary heart within the church. We need to grow to be a missionary church. A church that sends out others to take the word elsewhere. To plant churches. To spread the good news. And that needs to be in our genes. Just like we have been planted here, we need to be looking to plant elsewhere in the fullness of time. So wait. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit and then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then we see him ascend, or rather the disciples did. They saw him taken up into heaven and the clouds hid him. And then these two guys turn up dressed in white. And there are the disciples still gobsmacked and looking into the sky. And they say, why are you staring at the sky? The Bible doesn't tell us clearly who these two guys were. But the inference is they were angels. I don't think a lot of people dressed in white in those days. And what did they say? They said, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go. We'll see when we get later into Acts, in Acts 3.21, it says, He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. The facts of the matter were that if Jesus hadn't have ascended, and if we didn't have that testimony to that, we couldn't have confidence in his return. Because he had to go so that he could return. That was all part of the plan. And then we have this strange bit at the end. Where Peter, when he's amongst the others, suddenly says, there's something we've got to do. We've got to replace Judas. Because it's already been foretold. That's an interesting way of looking upon it. You know? It's been foretold, so we've got to do it. It does show that he'd got to grips with some of the Psalms, because the two passages that he brought out were both from Psalms. And he uses them to confirm that actually 
what Judas did by betraying Jesus was foretold. Even that had been part of the plan. The two passages, if you want to look them up, are from Psalm 69, 25 and Psalm 109, verse 8. But there's loads of other prophecies as well. For example, that Jesus would be betrayed by someone he called a friend for 30 pieces of silver. And you'll find that in Zechariah 11 and in Psalm 41. In Zechariah 11 it reads, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And in Psalm 41, even my close friend who I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Some of this had been prophesied centuries before. going back to that question that question that I couldn't get out of my mind is I'd have been stood there saying is it going to be any different and I thought the answer was a bit like I think it's Jim in the Vicar of Dibley no 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 yes (laughs) is it going to be any different Yes. Jesus will no longer visibly be with his church. No. He's still the Lord of the church. And he's going to continue to guide, rebuke and encourage it. Yes. It's going to be different because we have the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. But no, actually we've got to continue to be always dependent on him. So already in these first 26 verses of the book of Acts, I think there's encouragement. We see our vision being widened. We see the key to the empowerment of the church. There's a challenge for us. There's certainty for the future. And there's prophetic fulfilment. As we delve further and further into Acts, we're going to see more and more of this. But let's just look at those elements. The encouragement. This same Jesus that you have seen taken up will return. Will return. We will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you can't get a much wider vision than that. The key to empowerment is wait for the Holy Spirit. And we have always said we want to be a church that follows God's leading and God's presence. And that's key. There are times when it's right to just wait for the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. But there's 
that challenge. There's that challenge about being witnesses. About being prepared to report what we have seen and experienced. And there's that wonderful, wonderful promise of prophetic fulfilment. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 